0: BBS looks fun this year. Can I get the house lights? There you go. All right. How's everybody doing today? Did you enjoy the worship? Wasn't that wonderful today? Yeah. It's good. It's good. All right. So water baptism is right at the end of the service. And I got a couple things at the end I'll mention to you. I'm going to jump back in. If you're visiting, glad you're here today. I've been going through the book of Ephesians. I'm going to finish here in verses uh, 10 through 20 today, this book, it's such a powerful book, and talk to you a little bit about spiritual armor today. How many of you got your armor on today? Okay, well, if you're in Christ, all of you should have your armor on, right? So so let's just jump in. Last week, I talked about strengthening yourself in the Lord, and there's some thoughts I want to share again about that, but let me just read verses um, uh, Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20. Praying always, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints, and for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in change, chains, that I in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. All right. So Paul, some of the most powerful verses on spiritual warfare and the necessity of being strong in Christ, uh, anywhere maybe in the New Testament that we see. And so as I shared last week on strengthening yourself in the Lord, he starts off here in verse 10, he says, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. That phrase could be translated, strengthen yourself in the Lord. Paul concludes this letter Uh, with the command of the Ephesian church and to us today, he tells them to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Now, how do you do that? Number one, know your position in Christ. And secondly, actively exercise your faith by living in, quote, the armor of God and praying always, praying always. (laughs) That's really where the battle is. The, we, the, the battle is won in our prayer, and so I shared quite a bit last week. If you weren't here, I really encourage to, to watch or listen to that message, but that word power, that English word power in verse 10, it's, uh, it's the word kratos, and this word kratos means manifested dominion. Paul uses it also in Ephesians 3.20 and also in Ephesians 1.19. Now, as I shared quite a bit last week, our strength is found in Christ in his power and might. Now, when we gave our lives to Christ and were born again, the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 13, places us into the body of Christ. And so you are, by the Spirit, put into the family of God, into the body of Christ. That is a reality. The same reality is that we're also put in the power of Christ. We are placed in him... And also with his power. As I shared last week, nine times in Ephesians 1, uh, this phrase, in the Lord or located in or contained in Christ, Paul uses it in Ephesians 1. In other words, we are in him, located in him. And not only in him, but in this power. And so the more that we understand this spiritual position and this reality, the more that we begin to live out of awareness that when Christ died, I died with him, Romans 6. When Christ was raised from the dead, I rose with him, and I'll build on this more. And when he went into the lower parts of hell for three days before he resurrected, guess what? We were sort of there vicariously with him. He confronted the enemy, defeated him, Took the keys, Revelations 18. we get a gold star in the front row. Jesus holds the keys to death and hell. He met the enemy, won the victory through the cross, his death, his resurrection. That same power that rose Christ from the dead is in us because we're in him. Should get someone happy today, Okay. And so this is how we begin to live out of the power of his might, understanding what he has done for us and who we are in him. But, Pastor, I don't feel very victorious. That's a lie from the enemy. You are. Because Christ is. Yes. And our whole Christian journey from the time that we accept Christ is learning, becoming more and more aware of just how complete. His resurrection and his victory is in the life of the believer. You're not a second-class Christian. I'll try over here. You're not a second-class Christian. The enemy wants you to think that. You are first-class because Jesus is first-class. You are in him. I'm in him. On your worst day, the enemy is under your feet. But pastor, I, I, we're praying. Yeah, I know. Keep praying. But he's under your feet. We're in a mop-up operation, right? The gates of hell fear a church that understands how complete the victory is of that Jesus did, and they understand that. They, the, the enemy hates this. So guess what he works at? Trying to unlodge us from our understanding of our position in Christ. And so as I shared last week, like King David, who strengthened himself in his uh, in the Lord, we see this in First Samuel verse thirty. Again, go back and listen to that last week. We begin to understand our position with Jesus, uh, in Him, how sufficient that is and through praise, prayer, and His presence. Okay, and so we begin to live out of that place and uh, that awareness. All right, now Paul is writing from a Roman prison. This is about A.D. sixty. He understood a Roman soldier's armor. Remember, at that time, the Roman soldiers, the Roman army was the greatest army in the world for centuries. And uh, they were feared. A Roman legionnaire was feared. Their weaponry, their just stature. And so, why then would Paul command the church to put on the full armor of God? Well, he uses this imagery of a disciplined Roman soldier for the church to understand how we are to be engaged in the spiritual realms. Paul is casting a vision to the Ephesian church of the battle they, and we are today, engaged in. We are God's soldiers. Now, I want to be very careful here, okay? Does not mean it's not a call to arms. It's a call to prayer. (laughs) We try on this side. It is a call to prayer. That's how you fight this battle, Amen. okay? Now, we'll build more on this armor in a second here, but that's primarily the battle that we're engaged in. The Holy Spirit instructs all believers to put on the armor of God to not only prepare for battle, but to advance the kingdom. So when you're wearing the armor of God or living in the righteousness of Christ, understanding who you are in Christ, now you're able then to pray with effectiveness. And I guarantee you, any of you that are parents or grandparents in the room, if you have a child that is, uh, you know, going through something, whether they're sick or there's a relationship issue they're going through or, or something's bothering them or if they've wandered from the Lord, you are going to pray, aren't you? You're going to pray like you're, their life depended on it. And you're going to intercede. Listen, and that's what God calls us to every moment of every day. We are to pray without ceasing, Paul says. The pastor, as I said last week, so many of us just want to soak in the presence of God and just rest in his goodness, and we need to. I just want to bask in the love of God. I just want to behold the beauty of his face and and behold his loveliness. I do too. I do it every morning. And then you get up from that place and you say, okay, God. What are we engaged in today? How do we pray today, Lord? What, what do you have for us today? You see, because what the enemy wants is to either get a church to realize they're not powerful or to get a church just so soaking in the presence of God that they never get up from that place and go into that place of petition and prayer. Does that make sense? Got to do it all. You need to be a soaker. And you need to be a prayer warrior. And by the way, there are no official ministry calling of intercessor in the church. The first three rows of every church is not designated for intercessors. In fact, the whole church is called to be a prayer warrior. And when the church begins to realize that, All of a sudden, they'll start to pray instead of expecting some others just to pray. Paul, who sees himself and believers as God's warriors fighting against demonic realms, commands the church to be strong in the Lord and to wage an effective warfare. Pastor, I don't like all this warfare talk. I'm sorry, you were born into a conflict. You and I were born into a world that's broken. And the hordes of hell, if they had their way, they're defeated powers. I'll build this more in a minute. They are defeated. Christ completely defeated them. But until he returns, we're still dealing with them on this earth. And they affect our lives, our families. And so the sooner we realize you got to get up off the couch and actually spend some time on your knees, metaphorically, Maybe you walk and pray. I love to walk and pray outside. And the more that we learn to bind and loose with the agreement of heaven, understanding if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything in heaven, that shall be done for you by my Father in heaven. We'll be grabbing a hold of whether it's our spouse or somebody else in the church or a few others and saying, okay, let's go after this thing. The enemy seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. He's a legalist. He looks for ways to establish strategies against us, our families, our churches, and society. By the way, next week I'll finish this out, and before I start a new series, I want to talk about effective strategies for spiritual warfare. It's very important, and it just kind of just segues with this. Our focus shouldn't be on the enemy but rather on the glory and majesty of Christ. By the way, don't look for a demon in everybody you run into in the church. I seem to remember Jesus saying, wait a minute, why are you looking at the log in your brother's eye and you got a speck in your own eye? Amen. Not to saying that folks aren't maybe struggling or there's an odd oppression or something, okay, but listen, let's keep our eyes on Christ, right? Recognize this stuff's going on around us. Recognize we can't avoid, avoid spiritual warfare But remember, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, right? We're wrestling against things behind the scenes, right? So we can't ignore it. So we must learn how then, in the love of Christ, in the peace of Christ, you know one of the greatest forms of warfare is functioning in the peace of Christ? When we get agitated, when we get riled up, when we lose our temper, or we're worried about something or fearful, we've just left what's called the rug of peace. And so, the more that we can stay in the peace and the confidence of Christ that God has got this thing, even though all chaos is happening all around me, the more that we'll be able to fa- uh, wage an effective warfare. Now, again, uh, I went into great lengths last week. I read through Daniel chapter 10, one of the most prolific passages of scripture on, on the warfare with the angels battling in the in heavenly realm. Again, go back and, and watch that if you weren't here. But how many are familiar with C.S. Lewis and some of his works, right? He wrote, among other books, uh, Chronicles of Narnia, movies were even made. He states in the intro to his famous screw screw tape letters, he says this, I'm paraphrasing a bit, the general public prefers either to ignore the forces of evil altogether, to pretend they don't exist, or to use cartoon images of a devil with horns and hoofs as an argument to that effect, you can't believe in that nonsense. So you can't believe in a devil at all, can you, right? And so this is where much of the world is at. Or here's the problem also in the church. Sometimes we take an unhealthy interest in everything demonic and we assume everything is a demon. Every every time somebody's struggling, something must be a demon, right? Right. And so you can go on both sides of this thing. Either you, you disqualify that there's a reality of darkness around us and spiritual powers, or you get over-fixated on it. Both extremes are not good. I remember I had a conversation in my early 20s, soon after I'd come to Christ and, uh, you know, just growing in all this understanding and everything. I remember having a conversation with a very well-educated attorney who went to a particular denomination of which I won't mention, and um, we were having this conversation, and I mentioned something about spiritual warfare and how as believers we battle against these powers of darkness. And he looked at me, he stopped, he goes, you don't believe there's a literal devil, do you? And I said, well, I do. And he quickly ended the conversation, and he never talked to me again. <laughs> you see, and that's true even, this was almost 40 years ago. it's, it's certainly true in this time, in this culture. You're seen if you believe in demonic powers or that the supernatural entities at war. You're seen almost as someone archaic, or from a whole other era. And don't you know that we've been enlightened now, and so we need to progress on past that, right? And so, and so, guess what happens? The enemy just runs roughshod because if the church doesn't really believe that we're engaged in a spiritual conflict, we won't pray like there is one, right? You see, there really is a spiritual war taking place around us in the spiritual realms. It's emphasized over and over again in Scripture. We see how Jesus battled the enemy. Jesus wasn't tempted by a metaphorical devil. He spent 40 days in the wilderness fasting and praying. It says afterwards he was hungry. Matthew 4, Luke 4. Go read it. Afterwards he was hungered, and then what happened? He was tempted by the devil. So make no mistake about it. If Jesus was tempted, how much more are we going to be tempted and assaulted by the schemes of the enemy when we're doing the will of God, right? There is a spiritual battle taking place all around us. I like what we see in 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 16-17. Elisha is got his servant with them in. You've got the army of Syria coming to try to apprehend Elijah because he's telling the king of Israel where, where the Syrian army is. And the king of Syria is like, well, what's going on? Well, it's this prophet in Israel. Let's go, let's go get him. So they're, they're going to go get him. And Elijah's not worried at all, at all, but his servant's worried. And he tells his servant, don't be afraid, the prophet answered. This great and the natural. You can see this army coming against them, surrounding them. He says, don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Someone needs to hear that today. Those who are with us are more than those who are against us. The angel of the Lord encamps round about those who believe in him and trust in him. God's unseen army around us is greater than the chaos that you may be going through. Elijah prays, open his eyes, Lord, that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked around, saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. We maybe can't see the angels. Sometimes some folks do, whatever. Don't focus on that, whether you do or you don't. Just trust that God has got an unseen army round about us, and we may not understand everything, but we can certainly pray, Father, would you send your heavenly host to surround us and protect us, amen? I prayed all the time over this church property. I prayed over your homes, I prayed over the, the members of the congregation. I pray God surround them with your presence, surround them with your angels, God. God surround their homes, God, they're sitting up, they're rising. They're, you know, they're, they're, they're rising up, God, they're sitting down. God, protect them in every way. God. let your heavenly army be round about them, God. God go before them, guide them, direct them, Father, Lord, in every way. And I'm not praying either, hoping that maybe God will answer that prayer. I'm confident he is. We know he is. I shared a little bit of this last week. I'll go quickly through this. Verses uh, 11 and 12, Ephesians 6, 11 and 12. Again, put on the whole armor of God. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against these powers, right? These spiritual hosts of wickedness, they've been defeated But this is it. And so that term wrestle is a Greek word, palae. It refers to physical competition where the victor forces the loser to the ground, placing his hand around the neck. And so you're involved and I'm involved in a spiritual struggle against demonic powers. Their goal is to force you to the ground, gaining control over your life. Again, People ask, well, wait a minute, pastor, I thought you said Christ defeated them. Yes, he has. You have authority now over them. Until he returns again in his second coming and he establishes the fullness of his kingdom, we are going to deal with the enemy until that time, all right? And so we've got to realize he's trying to force us to the ground. He's trying to gain control over us, right? But here's the thing. You as a new creation, me as a new creation in Christ, we have complete mastery. we have complete authority over all the power of darkness, because Christ has taken the keys, He's given us all authority. He says all authority. Matthew 28 has been given unto me, I give to you, you go therefore. Yes. Yes. So we use His authority. Yes, Let me read you Colossians 2:13 through 15. Remember, Jesus is the victory. He's the victor. We fight from his victory. I like what Paul says here. This is powerful in Colossians. He says, verse 13, you were dead. This is before coming to Christ, before we were born again. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ. Notice how it's the translation with Christ. When Christ was made alive, you and I were made alive. For he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the Christ. Christ's victory over Satan is complete and the same for you and I, right? In fact, to get a better understanding of what Paul was writing about there, when Roman generals would go into a territory and conquer the people there or defeat the army, what they would do would bring those generals from that defeated army back, they would do a big processional parade. This is sort of the language that Paul is trying to explain here, and the first century church would have understood it. They would parade those defeated, humiliated, in fact, they would strip them, right, Uh, walk them right through Rome, the streets of Rome. And what they the conquering general, they'd bring him before Caesar, they put him down on the ground before Caesar, and they'd put their foot right on their neck, showing how they conquered over them. And what Paul is trying to say is that's exactly what Jesus has done to the enemy, right? That's why the enemy is underneath our feet church, okay, he has shamed them publicly by his victory on the cross, he has disarmed them, he has stripped their power away from them, and so that victory that Christ has won is the same victory that you and I have, First John 4:4. greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, I'm trying to get you to memorize it as we go here, all right, the greater one lives in us, I've been involved at times, you know, ministering to people who are demonically oppressed. And uh, it is the most glorious thing when you see, see them. And by the way, most deliverance can be done in about 20 minutes if you know what you're doing. And you don't necessarily need a bucket and all that kind of stuff either. I'll just leave it at that, okay? You, if you know what you're doing, you know your authority in Christ... And that demon manifests, you can take authority over it. You can tell it to be quiet. You can tell it to submit to Christ. And you begin to dismantle the stronghold in that person's life and get that person free. And so you can see a person go from torment to joy in just a few minutes. It's an amazing thing. Seen it all over the world. Seen it right here. And so that's what Christ has done. His victory is complete, and we need to know how to exercise that. And by the way, if your kids are struggling with something or drugs or whatever, or pornography or something, kids, grandkids or whatever, parents, you have the right, they're in your family lineage, as for me and my house, we will serve serve the Lord. So you have the right to get on your knees and say, nope, not going to happen on my watch, not going to happen over my kids, right? Right? And when the church realizes we have the authority over the kids in this city and across our nation, said, nope, 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 it's not going to happen on our watch. We're going to pray. Instead of wanting fentanyl or whatever else, dear God, they opened another pot shop on the corner of 22nd Craig and Swan down here. I'm sorry if you like pot, stop. They call it dope for a reason. Sorry. And if you got some medical issue, cancer, whatever, I understand. Look, I'm talking about recreational. Listen, when I leave here on a Friday night or a Wednesday night from prayer, and I drive down 22nd, and I see scores of people lined up at the pot shop on a Wednesday night, come on, church. Let's pray that thing out of business. That's our neighborhood. I'm serious. I don't want that thing there. I don't want them anywhere. It grieves my heart. This stuff's gotten legalized in Arizona, every place else. Look what's happening in Oregon. They're finally realizing they legalized hard narcotics. There's a mess up there. The devil's laughing the whole way. Come on, church, let's pray. I just felt very. Listen, you may be like, wait a minute, but I don't have any kids or whatever. You may someday. And if you do have kids, don't think for a minute what's going on there isn't going to affect your kids. We're all in this together. I don't want to stand before the master and have him say, you all could have done a little bit more. Pastor, it sounds like performance. No, it's not. It's called being a believer in the body of Christ. If I love Jesus and I care about him, I should burn with a passion to win as many people to Christ as possible. I should want to see the gates of hell demolished. I should want to see the cities overcome with the presence of God. My heart should beat the passion for his name and the glory and the honor of his name. I like what late 19th century, 20th century, pastor, author E.W. Kenyon said about this victory of Christ. He said, the one who raised Jesus from the dead is in you, the new creation. You have the life and nature of God and the one that is in you is greater than any force or power outside of you. That's a word. So the enemy only has authority, folks. Listen, over our lives, when we either passively go through this Christian walk, right, we don't do anything, and then he just... He's affecting us, right? Or we agree with his lies. As I shared last week, wounds, trauma, unforgiveness, and sin can create entry points for the enemy to have a foothold. Paul defines our struggle as being against non-physical entities. He calls them principalities, powers, rulers, and hosts. And I explained last week, like terrorism, for example, many in the secular world see it as a clash of cultures, the culture of Islam versus the Western culture. No, it's spiritual or communism. It's, a, uh, it's an ideology that's demonically inspired. We're not wrestling against people per se, although people groups can be influenced by these things, we're wrestling against these demonic things about it, and by the way, this thing with marijuana or whatever and drugs, all that stuff, there's a Greek word for it. we're not to be involved, it says in English, in sorcery, which comes from the Greek word pharmakia, from where we get an English word pharmacy. So don't make any mistake about it. The drug use thing isn't just kind of case sera, sera, let everybody do what you want, you know. Well, no, no, listen, listen, the devil's behind this stuff. This stuff's demonic. So we need to pray and break the power of the spirit by that, behind that pharmacia, all of that stuff that would break the power of that stuff and cause people not to, you know, desire it, right? Any other stronghold that you see, whether it's sexual sin, whatever the issue is, Right? And so uh, Paul, again, is going through this, and you can pick up on, on that last week. Matthew 16, 18, as I've shared a couple times already today, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. But what exactly does that mean? The phrase the gates of hell means the power of death will not stop the advancement of God's kingdom nor prevail against God's people. You realize God's kingdom is the greatest kingdom, and in the end, it will surpass every other kingdom, right? Nothing is going to stop that. And so we can see the chaos or these things happening right now in our present time or throughout the centuries, but they will not prevail against the church. They are, they are going to ultimately be defeated. However, the more that we rise up and exercise the authority that we have in Christ, the more we can clear the airwaves over our city, over our nation, and begin to live in the fullness of health and prosperity that God intends, right? God wants us to live an abundant life. He doesn't want this nation to be in chaos, right? And so the more the church begins to rise up and draw into that place, the more that we'll see something powerful happen. A couple of weeks ago, I shared about a revival that happened in 1857 called the Layman's Prayer Revival, right? So if you weren't here, I want to mention it again. And in 1857, there was just a couple of years before the start of the Civil War, you had huge issues related to slavery and race, and it was just horrible, right? And uh, all kinds of other things. There was economic inequality, and, and just lawlessness, gangs and stuff in the streets, especially the large cities like New York and Chicago and Philadelphia and all this kind of stuff. Gee, similar to what we see today, right? And uh, all of a sudden, there was a, there was a guy, that uh, Jeremiah Lanphier, who was won to Christ through the ministry of the great evangelist Charles Finney. I think he came to Christ in about 1842 in Finney's church in New York City. And uh, he just got on fire for God. He was going to listen to lectures on revival that Finney was giving around the country, particularly in Boston. He went down to the south, was part of a revival there. He was just on fire. He wanted to see people come to Christ in New York City. And so he he felt like the Lord wanted him to, to try to win people to Christ. He's going out soul winning. He's not seeing hardly anything happen. And he comes back one day, and he's a businessman, right? And he comes back one day and he goes, Lord, I just don't see things happening. The Lord puts on his heart, I want you to start a prayer meeting. Do a prayer meeting for an hour a day. Invite people, you know. And I think when he first started, he just did it for one hour a week. Out of his own money, he printed 20,000 brochures to hand out around New York City to invite people to a prayer meeting. This is September of 1857. First prayer meeting, he shows up. He's there punctual, right on time. He gets permission to use a, a Church, there, Dutch Reformed Church in New York City, and um, nobody shows up. Doesn't sound like any similarity today, does it? In our churches, right? Prayer meetings. For the moment. Well, at the end of the prayer meeting, six people show up, so he's sort of encouraged. They pray, three, six guys. Next week, about twenty people show up, a little more excitement, still not a lot. Then something happens in the nation. 1857, stock market crash. It would be equivalent to about what we saw in 2008, in terms of Lehman Brothers, the stock market. You know, they had no financial backstops then. They had no provision. People lost their life savings. Uh, Businessmen committing suicide, all kinds of stuff. There There was already chaos in the streets. Now people are out of work, getting laid off. It is bad. Guess what happened? the prayer meeting got flocked. I pray it doesn't take something like that in America, church. I pray people rise up and say, wait a minute, no, 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 no. We don't, we don't need to wait till we have complete collapse in some way. And so they'd be all of a sudden by the hundreds, they started going to his prayer meeting. Other prayer meetings began to spring up in New York City and then other cities around the country. Within two years millions came to Christ. At that time, the population of the U.S. was about 30 million people. They say nearly 7% of the population came to Christ from 1857 to 1859. What, like 2 million people. Imagine if that, at the height of of this revival, and and it was still just prayer meetings. There was like no preaching, there was no special worship. People would come for prayer and they go, pray for my loved one, pray for this one, pray for that. People were lost, were beginning to come to the prayer meeting and getting saved in the meetings. Imagine that. They said at the height of it, during a six-week period, fifty thousand people a day were coming to Christ all over America. Pastors were having to do special baptism services. I mean, the churches, they had to build new church buildings. There were so many people that came to Christ. All before, all we got taught in school was about the Civil War. And yeah, we needed to learn about that. We needed to learn about the horrible nature of slavery, all of that. Yes, but no one taught us in public schools about the 1857 to 1859 revival that happened in this nation. Church, what about 2023? If God did it then... Would he do it again? Absolutely. We are part of something, if you have faith to believe it, that is greater than a couple hundred people on a Sunday morning. He is waiting to open the floodgates of heaven. He is waiting to answer the prayers of his people. He is waiting for his church to realize, no, no, no. We've got the armor of God. We've got the authority in Christ. Let's stand up. Let's go after this thing. You see, the church of Jesus Christ is glorious. She is the most powerful. You need to believe this. The church, because Jesus Christ is in her and we're in him. Is the most powerful entity on earth. The church is not on the defensive, but rather is on the offensive. Satan and the hordes of hell fear a Bible-believing, spirit-filled, worshiping, and praying church. It's from his victory and authority that we prevail. And when we realize that, we can go into the darkest situations and say, I don't know what's going to but I know God's got this, right? We can, listen, I've been in the slums around the world. I've been in ghetto areas around the world, cities of the world where gangs. All, listen, you can walk in there confidently, not cocky, Amen. humble, but confident in him, knowing that Christ is in the midst of this thing, right? Amen. I'm not going to be able to get through the rest of this. I'll write all this up. People ask all the time, how do I get your teachings? Listen, go to that QR code, sign up to get my newsletter, get the article. It goes out every week because I got way more to give every week than I can possibly give to you in a, uh, 45 minutes or whatever on a Sunday morning. Amen? All right, so let me just quickly co- cover a couple things and because I don't want to teach you to death here today, right? I want to resurrect you to life, though, okay? We want to walk in the victory of Christ. That's what it is about this armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God. It literally means put, to sink into, to clothe oneself. We're to be, cle- be complete in God's armor as opposed to being strong in just one aspect and weak in others. We're not just to learn the shield and not the sword. We're to sink completely into God's, God's armor so we can stand against the enemy's scheme, the devil wants to exploit our weaknesses. He looks for areas to knock you off your firm footing. A legionnaire might have a sword and be very good at it, but without his shield and helmet, he is open to the darts and arrows, which will stop him from standing. The enemy knows our weaknesses." And so the more that we can be honest with ourselves and get right with God and say, okay, God, I'm struggling in this area. And this is what I want to really cover next week is out of 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 5. The battleground primarily is in the mind. Most of us fail because the enemy is assailing our mind. We believe ungodly beliefs about ourselves. We don't believe our position in Christ or we believe lies that we've heard over and over again, maybe because of generational stuff or whatever. And so then we're not able to to step fully into what God has for us. Amen? Amen. It's important to understand that. You need, and I need to wear the full armor of God to stand against the wiles or schemes of Satan. The Greek word for wiles is methodi, and it means cunning arts, deceit, and craft, or trickery. Satan has methods. His goal is to keep those who are lost, lost, and secondly, to rob believers of their authority in Christ by getting them to agree with lies and bondage. Think of all those people at the drug counter, the pot shops. They're lost. They're looking for a high. They're blinded. Only about 5% of the population of Tucson even attends church or knows Christ. This is a mission field. He says, Ephesians 6.13, take up the whole armor, right? And so... Without the full armor, our ability to stand is at great risk. The Greek for able, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. The Greek for able is dunamai, means having the strength or power. From the same root, uh, we get the word dynamite or power. The whole armor of God gives us the power to stand against Satan. To withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand. We must walk alert for Satan's devices. His goal is to disable the believer and keep the lost lost. Again, We are more than conquerors in Christ, but the enemy wants to disable us or get us to believe lies about ourselves and not realize just our authority that we have in him. Because if we do, then we're going to help rescue scores out out of society and help bring them into the kingdom. And so God has given us the ability to choose to make the stand, and if we don't make the choice to stand, we may fall. Satan is not just content with the saint lying on the ground. His goal is to choke off the life out of the believer. Remember, the term for wrestle is defined as a victory when the opponent has his hand around your neck. And again, the bondage is the strongholds in the mind. I'll touch on that more next week. Again, very quickly, I don't have time. I'll write all this up. Having girded, verse 14, your waist with truth, the first piece of equipment Paul describes the belt of truth. The Roman legion belt was distinctive. Fastened the belt was the gladius of the sword. The belt also kept the tunic and armor in place. Truth keeps everything in place, and truth, church, is Jesus Christ and the fullness of God's word. It is not cultural relevancy. It is not the truth that culture is trying to dictate to us that is truth, amen? Amen. I touched on some of that last week. So we've got to know what the truth is in God's word, and we need to stand on that, and be anchored in that, and not give in to the cultural mismatch of what they want us to believe truth is, because to them, most of the folks out there, it's a form of moral relativism, right, and deism, I talked about that a couple months ago, where all of a sudden it all gets mixed together, and it's sort of like, you do what you want, I'll do what I want, and it's sort of like, as long as you don't hurt me, I won't hurt you, we're all good, right, and that's truth to most people, that is far from the from from what God's Word says, right? And so, the primary thing about the Christian message is that it is true. Again, culture, by and large, doesn't like that. They say that we're too narrow, that we're not progressive enough, right? But the reality is, Jesus is the way, John fourteen six. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and he makes that point very clear. So, we have to be unapologetic about the Word of God. And here's... Here's the, the rub right now in our culture, especially when it comes to sexual issues, right? It's sort of like, it's like if we, people don't think we love them if we don't fully embrace their behavior and their lifestyle. They view us then as haters right or we're too narrow so they they ignore the word of God and to them it makes they don't care they don't believe the word is true they don't believe the Christian message is true and so if we say no 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 this behavior is sin according to the word of God how they interpret it in their heart is you say I'm sinful and therefore you hate me and you don't love me and that's what we're dealing with in culture and so it's being crammed down our throat. You can't I can't can't even watch the golf tournament. Can't even watch the golf tournament on CBS and they have to get the this is pride month thing in. I believe every person, no matter what their behavior pattern is, needs to be loved and valued as a pe- as a person. People are people. We love them. But they don't view us as loving if we say, no, 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 we want to help you get out of that pattern that has got you blinded. No, I was born this way. No, that's sin. See, no, we hate it. So now we're viewed as a hater. You see what happens? I love the adulterer. If you're here and you're doing that, get right with God. I love the adulterer. You're welcome every Sunday. I want to help you. I want to get you free. But don't live in that behavior. Amen. I love the drunkard, but don't go get drunk. Mm -hmm. Pastor, I'm addicted. Okay, you might be. And maybe you're addicted. We want to help you. They'll get you free. Does that sound good? And so most don't don't get it. Um, I just got to kind of wrap this up, folks. There's so much here. This is such a good thing, this chapter. I want to end, though, with verse 18. He says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful of this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Notice how Paul continues his thought on the armor with prayer. Again, I'll, I I've glossed over a whole lot there that you really need to, to take a look at. I'll write up this week. Uh, prayer is what puts it all together we're to use the word of God, the sword of the spirit. In fact, the most effective prayer is when we know the word and we pray the word and we stand on the word, and we know the truth of the word, right? Then we're able to pray it and we're confident of it. And it's both the written word, the logos, and the revealed, what the rhema word, what the Holy Spirit is revealing in a situation, right? When you know that, you can pray effectively the will and the purposes of God. And so all of a sudden, now. Prayer is the means in which we engage the enemy effectively, defended by the armor, the virtue of, of the righteousness of Christ. We have to wear the breastplate of righteousness. If we're in sin, then we, we've got a chink in our armor, right? And by the way, Psalm 66 says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And so righteousness has to be at the foundation of who we are. We're righteous in Christ, but we also live to li- need to live in his righteousness. Amen. So we wear the armor, but the battle is fought by standing on God's word, remaining in faith, and praying without ceasing. Prayer, again, is the primary avenue we fight the schemes of the enemy. Would you go ahead and stand, everybody? Again, there's a good teaching here, but I know that if I just went through, the rest of this would be another 20 minutes, and I've already gave you a lot today, okay? Go and read through this and meditate on this this week. It's a, this is a very... Important teaching that we need to understand and live out of. You should not have to get up in the morning, oh, I gotta put on the armor of God. (laughs) No, you should be living in the truth of his word. You should be living in his righteousness. You should be praying without ceasing. You should be using the word of God as a sword of the spirit. You should be lifting high the shield of faith, right? To quench the lies of the enemy, right? And by the way, the Roman shield was both a defensive weapon to f- quench those fiery darts, but also to thrust. It was also used to thrust to ward off, right? So faith is also a weapon. And so we need to, we need to just be living in this realm. And so take a moment. I want to pray over you here in a second. But take a moment. Ask the Lord, are there areas of doubt or despair, of adverse circumstances you're in, sharp temptation maybe you're going through, Personal tragedy, arrogance and pride, maybe that have affected you. These these things can be those arrows that come at us. Ask the Lord, Lord, is there some area there? Repent. Determine today to stay in God's armor and pray with perseverance. Say, Lord, forgive me. Yeah, maybe you've been hurt by somebody. Forgive them. Let it go. Ask God to forgive them. Maybe you're being tempted. Say, Lord, I'm struggling in this area. God, I want to get free. I don't want to give into this thing anymore. Lord, help me. God, repent of it. Maybe you've gotten puffed up. Maybe you know so much of the word and pride's crept in. Listen, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. We want to live in a place of humility. Be confident in Christ, absolutely. That's what I'm trying to get everybody to. But don't get puffed up. Sometimes we get success in life or business or family, ministry, whatever, and we can get puffed up. Maybe we've been passive. Say, Lord, forgive me. I said this last week in my message. Some are AWOL on the wall. It's a military phrase, absent without leave. Some of you haven't been interceding like you know you should be interceding, whether it's for your family, for the church, for the nation. Say, God, forgive me. Break that lie of the enemy. You know, a whole lot of pastors like me are labeled now by many in the body of Christ. You're putting performance on us. No. Trying to get you to be who you are in Christ. Now I want to pray over you. Father, I, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, Every lie, lid, and label of the enemy, I take authority over. Yes. I break the power. Some of you, I just got a word of knowledge, pornography. I break the power of pornography. I break it. In Jesus' name. Yes. Father, I speak freedom to the captive. You need to repent of it. Yes. Realize that things destroying your intimacy with the Lord. And if you're married, destroying your intimacy and in your relationship. If you want to get married, it's going to affect that. Say, I want to get free of that thing. Lord, I repent of it. Jesus, I break off, Lord, despair, doubt, depression, discouragement. I take authority over that. I lift it off, God. The joy of the Lord is their strength, God. Lord, I release your peace. Lord, where the enemies come with adverse circumstances, one thing after another, sickness in the family, things breaking in the home, or equipment, whatever it is, we break the power of adverse circumstances in Jesus' name. I take authority over this cycle yes. Yes. in the name of Jesus. Lord, any other temptation, break the power of it. Greed, I got a word, greed. Lord, where there's greed. Yeah. Lord, all that belongs to us, Lord, is your. Lord, we want to not, we free that spirit of greed. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. Lord, we break the power of that over our lives. We want to give in to the spirit of this age. Lord, where there's been trauma and personal tragedy, bring healing, Jesus. We just release your presence and your peace. Now, just put your hand. I just felt the Lord just say, do this. Put your hand over your heart. And just simply say this. I am a child of God. I am am loved and accepted by my Father. I am am completely secure in Christ. Christ. Thank you, Jesus, Jesus. for saving me, For for being my resurrection life, and I can live from your victory. In your name I pray, amen. amen. Now, do you believe that, church? Come on. Yeah. yeah, spend time. You're loved by the Father. That's another message the Father's love. It's amazing. But realize you're also a warrior for Christ, okay? So be completely secure in who you are as a child of the King. But understand, we've got a job to do, church. Amen? All right.